Welcome back to Animation Deliberations, the podcast where we take action animation and cartoons seriously, but not too seriously. On a very special episode, we are covering Disney Animation's Raya and the Last Dragon. And to do so, joining us is a very special guest, Irvin Quinton, a guru in Filipino martial arts with more than 20 years experience is here to break it all down with us. But we have to pause for a second. That's right. We're going to turn into statues for just a moment, but we trust that you're going to put your trust in us that we'll be right back after these ads we have no control over. You're invited to explore cypress swamps and magical gardens and float along the rushing waters of an old-fashioned swimming hole. Plan your journey at visitmississippi.org slash outdooradventure. Mississippi, wanderers welcome. Sing along if you know the words. A one, two, three, it's time for animation, deliberation, a conversation and a celebration. Of our favorite action animated series. Yeah. All right, folks, welcome back. This is Animation Deliberation, the podcast that takes action animation and cartoons seriously, but not too seriously. I'm your host, Jay Scotty St. Clair, and I am joined, as always, by Mr. Zuhair Ali. What's going on, Zuhair? How are you? Hello, hello. Finally watching this movie again after seeing it in theaters post COVID and all that. Uh, Fantastic movie. Really excited to talk about it. And I'm really excited about our guest today. Oh, me too. I have to thank you for bringing in such a special guest. So why don't you go ahead and introduce him? All right. My guest is the owner of Impact Martial Arts in Virginia Beach, Virginia, which has just celebrated its 12th anniversary. He has 20 plus years of experience in multiple arts, most notably a black belt in Muay Thai, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, and my favorite Filipino martial arts, which is also known as Kali. It's my pleasure to welcome Guru Irvin Kinten. Thank you for joining us. How are you? Thank you guys for having me. It was awesome. Even the singing right in the beginning of the episode right here. So <laughs> I really enjoyed it. I was looking forward to that, actually. Awesome. I'm, I'm glad you, you enjoyed that. And, and thank you for being here. Really excited to uh, have a, an expert in martial arts. It's uh, an area that I appreciate a lot. I don't have a lot of knowledge there. So with a movie as fantastic as, as this was, Ryan the Last Dragon was, really excited to get a couple of guys like you guys uh the platform to to kind of nerd out about it so let's 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 do it yeah girl um you know we've talked about this movie plenty on and off the mat because it was a lot of stuff even from the trailer that we saw that we were really excited about and you took the time to put a video on impact's youtube page talking about the comparison between ryan the last dragon along with uh filipino and eastern asian culture uh, where can our listeners find that video? And could you give a gist of like um, some things that really stood out to you and really caught your attention for this film? Sure. Uh, you can find uh, the video on YouTube, on our YouTube channel, Impact Martial Arts Academy in Virginia Beach. I think if you type in uh, Impact All Day as one word with no spaces, you'll find the uh, the YouTube channel. And um I have everything listed there in a kind of like a color-coded type system, red for Filipino martial arts, and you'll see like a, a Raya thumbnail right on the very first um, image. So then when you click on it, it gets right into it. Cool. So what are some cliff notes on, uh, on the video? Uh, a bit of cliff notes on the video. I shared some uh, weaponry, um, a little bit of the cultural background, some of the little tidbits that you find in there, like the like the Mount Tuk Tuk, <laughs> a little bit of the let's see what else is in there. 
the heritage, a little bit of lineage as well, uh, but mostly like connecting to the historical and the cultural parts that really stuck out to me the most. I really enjoyed the whole movie. Like right in the very beginning, you can see a whole bunch of stuff they put together. And one of my first in my first impressions was that Disney actually did their their homework. Because mm-hmm. as soon as you see a bit of the the motions and um from let's say the very beginning where she's about to walk up the stairs and she takes her shoes off, she goes to the door and pulls out two rattan sticks. And you can tell they're rattan sticks for Filipino martial arts because of the burn marks and mm-hmm. uh, how everything kind of opened up from there. Oh, that, that's already fascinating right off the bat. So what can you tell me a little bit more about these rattan sticks? What do the, the burn marks signify? Well, the burn marks, they're different on each type of rattan stick. Well, rattan mm-hmm. is uh, like a bamboo stick. Um, usually okay. it's when it's growing, it's curly. And in mm-hmm. order to make it straight, you actually have to dip it in some water, soften it up a little bit, straighten it out, and then dry it in the sun. And then okay. you go through a hardening process by fire put some of these sticks into like a fire stove mm. and then like uh, bring out the natural resins of it and okay. make it harden from there. And then you have some people who use like brands or just use like uh, the flames itself to, you know, pattern, uh, create a pattern around the rattan stick. Mm. So depending on which system or family that you would be training with, they would have a particular pattern. So okay. in the, in the movie itself, they had, uh, it actually, um, they not, I don't want to say they copied it, but it resembled one uh, from probably over 20 years ago. I remember seeing a pair of sticks and it's been burned that way ever since. And it's more in a spiral um, pattern. So hmm. that one uh, really connects to, like, say, some of the Inosanto blend. I've seen it a lot. Um, it used a lot from the Inosanto blend practitioners. Okay. So that's where you can see that. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's all super fascinating. And uh, you talk about Disney, you know, doing their due diligence and doing the research. And even as somebody that's a, a little more ignorant, just kind of on the outside looking in, I, I just had to appreciate the the attention to detail from the music, the choreography with the fighting. You, you talk about the weapons there. I felt like oh. there were a fair amount of weapons on display as well. But then even just like the different types of martial arts that were on display, can you um, either one of you guys, can you talk about some of the ones that were maybe like focused on primarily in, in this story? Uh, the one that I was most excited about is the sword that I actually own, which is the Chris. Ooh, uh, yeah. That's the one that Raya has that has the waves. Uh, oh, so yeah. I, was, I was really stoked when they pulled that out because I just kind of looked over. I was like, oh, hey, there's mine. <laughs> um, a couple of moments that like stuck out to me was when they were when uh, Namari and Raya were both children having mm-hmm. uh, lunch together. Right. And they were having the the conversation of, oh, do you like this or this or this or this? And it was like empty hand or sword. And she says blade all day and does this motion around her head, which we call the payong, which ah. is a umbrella motion. OK, uh, so that was kind of like the first little tidbit of like, oh, wow, like they're they're taking these motions and stuff. Seriously, this is this is really cool. Mm. And then the um, every scene that Namari and Raya had where they were facing off first going into blade stuff, going to the disarms the empty hand and just being able to track the motions and understand exactly what they were doing just really blew my mind. Guru, do you have anything to add to that or kind of on the same train? Yeah. The, uh, the Chris sword, the Chris sword is especially when you saw like her father pull it out 
mm-hmm. then it was like, oh, that's the Chris sword. Very uh, indigenous to the Philippines. It's also shared with Malaysia and um, Indonesia. They're all okay. pretty much in the same uh, geographic area. And depending on where you, you come from, they have the different names. So the one okay. in particular, we're thinking that it's the Sudang, which is from the southernmost Philippines. Okay. Um, very, very look provocative. Yeah, very unique looking shape. Um, you'll see, like, let's say the, the Chinese wavy sword. That one looks a little bit more straight. But the Sudang itself has this triangular shape to it. And hmm. in particular, by the hilt, by the handle. Uh, it comes out with like a, a longer triangular piece. So instead of like uh, a flat brass rectangular shape, it was, sure. it's more of a triangular and it's not uh, more horizontal, but has a, a particular angle to it. And they have like these little markings on it um, where you can see notches and yes. there are different aspects to the notches as well. Some say that each notch can represent how many heads it took. Oh, or wow. each notch can represent a generation that had passed down. So from the family perspective, I kind of am more biased towards how many generations it's moved from one hand to the next. Especially with the context of, you know, the father passing down the responsibility of being the guardian of the gem to his daughter. Agreed. I think that I think that empowers that sentiment a little more. Yeah, yeah most I definitely. totally agree. Yeah. The fact that she inherits the the sword from him and the fact that he is so much of a pacifist kind of character. But um, you you talked a little bit about the geography and some of the cultures that influenced um, the, the, you know, the, the weaponry that we saw there, but let's, let's talk about the land of Kumandra, this kind of fantastical place that we're set in. What's, what specific cultures are, are we drawing from? And with the, all the different tribes that represent the different parts of the dragon, is it pretty easy to say, okay, they're, they're focusing on this culture here and here and here, or is it a little more spread out? What, what, you get, what can you guys tell me about the tribes and, and the locations? Well, I think the, what I think Disney was trying to use uh, from Kumandra was the mm-hmm. Majapahit Empire. Um, in the movie itself, they depicted about five countries or five different people. Um, in particular, I saw two, two cultures. One would be the Filipino culture and the other one Mm -hmm. would be, uh, the Thai culture. The other Mm -hmm. three, I'm, I would be guessing, so I don't want to say anything incorrect, but, uh, from like the Southeastern Asia, like I'm thinking the Mongols, um, I'm thinking the Indonesians itself too. Um, yeah. that country, um, if I had to pick a third one, I don't know, maybe somewhere around Laos, perhaps now, that's okay. just me guessing and kind of tossing something out there, but for sure, Philippines and Thai and, uh, okay. Raya was representing, uh, from what I could see is representative of the Philippines and, mm-hmm. uh, Namari was, um, from Thai. And okay. the one thing yeah. that kind of picked out or made it more apparent, it was Thai was some of the names that they were using. So uh, I can't think of any of the other people's names, but you, can, when I hear the the accent that they're using, I was like, yeah, that's mm-hmm. more Thai. Her mother's name was Chief Verana. There was like a, a man in there. The Chief, it started with an A. It was like yeah, a, it sounded like Ayutthaya, which is an actual like city yeah, yeah. Inside, okay. of, inside of Thailand. Okay. So yeah. that's where I kind of like, uh, that's pegged right to the Thais. Okay, okay. And then I, I definitely agree with you. Uh, I mean, I might be 
making some assumptions here, but I would definitely think that spine and that um, snowy landscape where we had Benedict Wong's character Tong, I, I definitely think that was very Mongol inspired. And then with Talon, um, the thieving kind of commerce, city of commerce and, and merchantry there, uh, that was supposed to be Bangkok, if I'm not mistaken, right? That was my understanding. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that all that all sounds like it's um it's it tracks there. But let's just uh, now we we've talked a little bit about the the landscape and the and the culture and whatnot. Let's let's talk about the the movie and the story itself. What what did you guys think overall? It was a uh, very much drawn into the cultural aspect, but I think it's more on like if I could tie it back to the Majapahit Empire for a second oh, and course. how all the different uh, countries were all spread apart. Yeah. Uh, once upon a time, they were all unified, just like how the movie was talking about. And then mm -hmm. something happened in in the middle. So in this case, Raya had the uh, the monsters and the the dragons and the trust issues there, and then how sure. people wanted to uh, take the gym for themselves. So that would be right. their their internal squabbling, right? So mm -hmm. from the Majapahit Empire, they had something similar, and I believe, and I'm just going to be guessing from here that it all started from the sea trades. And how some people would jump onto the boat, go to a different country, and then start, you know, traveling in between. And then they have, like, their preferences of, you know, their goods. Sure. And I want to say it started from there. And then eventually the, the empire actually broke up, uh, broke up from there. Okay. Okay. So definitely that's the part that stuck out to me and how the movie wanted to bring them all back together. Now, from some of the historical uh, point of view and some of the books that I've read, uh, you can see that they've been wanting to bring it back together, but it's it's all the, I guess, all the politics and the different um, value sets. And now that you have unique cultures, it's a little bit mm -hmm. more difficult to bring everybody together. I think one of the scenes that kind of solidified what you said about the trade routes was in the beginning when the chief was talking about the leaders of the other lands visiting Mm -hmm. He had ingredients from each of those lands that he was making the stew with. Right. Right. So I think that was an important part that there was like, there is still trade and relations going on with these other lands, but it's at a very minimal capacity just to get kind of what they need, but sure. they don't like cross borders too much. So there must be a central area across these rivers where uh, trade and relationships and, you know, the, the, the Alhambra of what it is, you know, the centerpiece of where they pass knowledge and ingredients and spices and uh, trade and all that sort. So it seems like sure. there is still something of that sort. There is still a connection between uh, these lands, but there isn't a common ground for them to want to unify. Mm, right, it's more right. of just uh, the thrive of power. That was the scene that I was thinking of, too, when, he, you know, like when Raya was coming into the kitchen with her dad and then she's mm -hmm. like, talking about all the different types of traps and weaponry that she wanted to use for the, war, the upcoming <laughs> war, right? And then he's yeah. like talking about the ingredients and putting into the stew pot. We're going to poison like, them? He's like, no, we're going to offer them some food. Like, yes. <laughs> yeah. What kind of food is that? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. Whatever, whatever it was looked tasty. Mm -hmm. And it was a beautiful moment later in the movie where they were arguing over like what the meal was lacking and Raya had yeah. the last ingredient. And then one person from each of those lands was actually sharing a meal on that boat together. You know, I was looking inside of that kitchen. I was looking for the big spoon and fork, which is mm -hmm. uh, a big thing for the Filipino culture. 
And as okay. I was trying to look for it inside of the kitchen, you know, the scenes were switching around. And I believe on the video I created on our YouTube channel, I think there was a comment saying that there was a spoon and fork in there. Hmm. But I didn't actually go back to to hunt for it again. That's cool. I wouldn't be surprised. All the environments and are so rich. All the backgrounds have so much detail. And I, we're, we're kind of getting into the story a little bit here, but it's just worth saying, like, there were times where the landscapes, the textures, like, it's they've gotten to a point here, Disney animation, where it's almost like photo real. And mm-hmm. it's the cloths, the, the, the hair, the textures. I mean, it's, it's just amazing. It looks like that they're really diving in there a little bit, you know, to get it more accurate to the people. Um, mm. I noted the, noticed that they're really opening it up uh, the world to seeing the different cultures from, I think the first one that they were using was from uh, Mulan, so showing some, some Chinese uh, culture, and then now they have mm. Raya, and they're expanding the whole Southeastern Asia part of the, yeah. the world. And you can yeah. see they're really putting in as much of that effort because I believe that if you can touch the different cultures and it helps share a little bit more because they, everyone has their pride in where they come from. So oh, it certainly. helps definitely share uh, the wealth of culture around the world. I think two other Disney properties that kind of fueled this as well was Moana. One, sure, sure. Because they actually did the auditions from people from Hawaii so that they could actually get somebody with the natural accent to be able to say the words that they intended on using in the film. Right. Mm-hmm. And another one being Black Panther, uh, hmm. heavily set in Africa. I was reading an article about how initially they were actually intending on getting the actors to use a British accent. Because wow. typically when you hear like a foreign culture, you think British. It's like, okay, British is foreign to America. So cool, fancy foreign accent. But the director actually opposed that and said, no, this is going to be in Africa. We should be focusing on African cultures and African dialects, and we should be learning from them and using those accents in them so that the uh, the culture could be exposed to the world a little more. Hmm. So because of the feedback that the positive feedback that Moana and Black Panther both got, I think that's made Disney a little more comfortable with just being like, sure, let's dive into the accuracy of these cultures when we put them into these other films. Oh, yeah, totally, totally. I I agree 100% with Moana being an influence, but and I agree with Black Panther being an an influence as well. But that one surprised me a little bit more. I thought maybe you were going to go towards Coco, but I I 100% agree and love that point that you brought up there. Um, I did kind of want to pivot back a little bit to just kind of talking about the culture being represented and the story being represented both visually or, or the culture and the story coming through visually. And the main thing I'm thinking of there is when we get the the flash or the opening narration where Raya kind of flashbacks, you know, initially we get the whole opening scene where she's like, I know what you're thinking, Lone Rider in this dystopian landscape, but let's let's paint, let's go back a little bit and show how it all started. And you get that <laughs> sequence where the story gets told and it's almost done like through a living mosaic that I have to imagine was very much influenced by the the art of this area. And I always love when they can change up the art style. I, I just talked about how beautiful the film was, but those scenes, um, not with, notwithstanding, what did you guys think about that stuff? I thought that was pretty cool. Like if I were to bring up her her mount again, Tuk Tuk. Yeah. Um, as soon as I heard her say the name of, uh, was it a roly-poly or was it an armadillo? 
There's gotta uh, be. Like, Jay Scotty, you looked that up earlier. Yeah, I actually looked it up because I was so curious. It's a uh, it's a hybrid. It's a third pill bug, a third armadillo, and a third pug. The pug threw me um, off, but it makes sense. <laughs> I don't see the pug in there. Was it like maybe the face? The mannerisms. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the the name itself, tuk tuk, is the sound that the tricycles make when you uh, when you go over to Thailand or the Philippines. Mm. So uh, like a motorcycle, right? You got tuk 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 tuk. So uh-huh. I'm like, oh my gosh! <laughs> when they said the, the name, I was like, oh, that was perfect for the mouth. That's awesome. I love that. <laughs> but yeah, that artwork at the beginning was just stunning. I've been trying to think of the word of like how to describe that that style of art. Um, it's very tessellation, very mm. you know tapestry type stuff. Sure, a lot of like calligraphy type form in it, which is a lot of um, Indian art as well. You see it modernly used in Mandy or henna tattoos very often. Sure. That type of pattern and flow and, um, you know, symmetry and repetition and design and whatnot. So that that really appealed to me, like, right off the bat in the beginning of the movie. So I like that they did it in a style where it made it look like a, uh, you know, a, uh, a stop-motion scroll. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to describe it. Just to keep it with that, uh, that design to keep you interested, but still to throw it back to give like that cultural, here's a story from long ago type of story. Cause it was a 300 year gap, right? I think, I think it was 500. Like, yeah. I think it was like 500 years. Right. So yeah. I think it did a good job of like using art to establish timeline. Yeah, totally. Well, let's, uh, let's just talk a little bit about the, the story and some of the, like the most emotional moments. I kind of told you hair off offline. I've seen the movie twice now and I was a little surprised by how effective the emotional scenes are and, and how much they got me on a second viewing. It's it's just a beautiful story and it's a, not a story that you often see in action movies. I mean, as, as awesome as the action is and as consistent as the action is throughout, it's really a story about, you know, forgiving and, and, and trusting your, your enemy and especially that moment at the end where you know, we have this, this ragtag team of all the members of the, of the various tribes and Raya is the first one, you know, time and time again, Namari has, has proven herself untrustworthy and such a bitter enemy. And and she's the first one to make that sacrifice and place her trust in her. And, and both times that happens, I just, I can't help but well up. It's just a a beautiful moment. What what are some of the moments that stand out for you guys? And what do you think of the story overall? I think the trust part, like just like you said, especially towards the end, and you can see like Namari having those internal conflicts because mm. she looked like in the very beginning of the movie she genuinely befriended Raya, and then had an interest for her own country and her own people. Sure, you so had those two things that was mixing in, and then throughout the movie you can see that it's uh, more tribal esque and how they're uh, butting heads, but you can see that there's still that that connection that was. Um, um, wanting to to bridge the gap between the people, mm-hmm. and then like towards the end, you can see even even it even more where you know just like how she's t- uh, about to take that first step, the trust that's supposed to be there, or the the hope and the faith, and then how you want to really bring people together, and then the the turmoil between like I really want to trust you, but all your actions tell me that I can't. But I'm going right. to do it anyway because there's faith now. I really want to bring their people back together. And it's a very powerful moment, especially as soon as she makes that first move and then everybody followed suit. 
Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So to the listeners out there, if you haven't watched it yet, a bunch of spoilers already there. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone dies. <laughs> but you can see like from the innocent part, especially from uh, Sisu, uh, the innocence in there, uh, wanting to trust like unconditionally and then mm-hmm. pushing, pushing that even more, having other people believe and then really getting to that, that final moment or all the moments that really um, when you compile them together, you can see that people still have that that desire to still be together, mm-hmm. although there's different tribes. Uh, on regards to uh, Sisu's innocence, it really cracked me up where every time they went into a new nation, she wanted to bring a gift. Yeah. And that was very relatable with my mom because <laughs> I have this tendency now where it's like whenever I go to somebody's home for the first time, I have to bring something for them. Hmm. Whether it be you know, like a small cake or dessert or, you know, if it's a, uh, the first time moving into the home, like a small homecoming gift. But like, I, I feel like I, f- I felt that cultural connection of, you know, how to greet your guests and to make you know, the, the formalities of it all. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the innocence of that was, was really relatable. Mm-hmm. But I, I think the, the movie really did kind of, you guys mentioned the word trust, the main word for me was uh, tunnel vision hmm. about how people hmm. have these perspectives on how they see people from other cultures or other places or you know other ethnicities or religions or whatever and it's like whatever was initially put in their head is what you think of them so yeah. it's like the people from fang were snooty the people from spine were just big mindless oafs with axes and towns were all cons but you know they all found that moment where when Raya actually engaged in a conversation, instead of being like, Oh, Hey, you're just this and this. And they actually had the opportunity to say, it's like, no, like I lost my family doing this. I'm doing this because this and this happened, or we all have, you know, this similarity, uh, the, the opportunity to abolish a little bit of ignorance was a very prominent theme throughout the movie because one of the things that all of them did have in common if you noticed whenever they saw whether it be a statue of a dragon or a dragon they all had the same salutation yeah of putting their hands together and coming up to the head so there is commonality between people between cultures between perspectives and state of minds and i think this movie was really trying to push the perspective of like hey listen to your neighbor and the people you come across and see what they actually have to say and what you can learn from them. Yeah. Yeah. You hit the nail on the head there. I, I couldn't agree more. And I have to ask while you bring it up that, that salute, the, the bringing of the hands together in, in the form of a circle, just um, above the forehead there, is that indicative of, of any particular culture or credo that you know of either of you guys? Well, I do know from Filipino martial arts, right? Like if you take, if you take like a blade, long blade, or maybe a, a stick, and mm-hmm. you put it onto your forehead, right? So the the normal salutation would be putting it onto your forehead, and mm-hmm. then with your your other hand, your empty hand, you would create like a cup type of uh, okay. object, and then put the butt of the stick into into that cup. Okay. So that would be like the greeting and, and the the farewell at the same time. Uh, I can see how they can put the the circle and they put it on top of their forehead in the same kind of manner to gesture a respectful um, manner. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm thinking it's kind of correlated in there, but to bring it a little bit more, you can see like when they 
turn into a statue, they put their hand, their hand up, right? Like as if to offer something or to hold something in their hands. Sure. So I can see it's more like, I don't know, I can see unity and then an offering of unity if you wanted to bring those two gestures together, even though they're separate. Yeah. One is yeah. them living and one of them is as their, their stone. Hmm. Now in the Filipino martial arts or Philippine culture, uh, we have this thing called mano or manopo, which is uh, uh, mano is Spanish for hand. Po sure. would be the Filipino language uh, to say ma'am or sir. So it's it's a it's more of a gesture to ask for the hand, and okay. there's a, a respectfulness behind that. So as they're doing that to each other, and I think from all of the southeastern cultures, they have that that exchange with each other. So I think they're showing the differences and also showing how they are actually common or or similar. Okay, okay, I, I like that explanation, and, and it does tie back into what Zuhair was saying. We talk about, you know, trust being such a, a strong through line, but I also agree with what you, Zuhair brought up about, you know, recognizing that maybe these stereotypes and these these prejudgments that, that you've made beforehand are not necessarily so true. And I think one of the ways that that's brought home the most strongly is the fact that as much as Namari and the, the Fang people are a bit of an antagonist um, in, in terms of how the story plays out, it's really the Droon that is our main like malevolent force here. And it's not even anything that has like a real identity. The main thing we learn about it, I think it's from Sisu through dialogue. She says it was born of human discord. So that that really just kind of ties back into the whole theme of the story. You know, I I have to think that that circle, you know, represents becoming whole, the, the unity, the, the, the Kumandra, you know, becoming whole again, the dragon being reunited there. Right. Right. Uh, I'm going to add a little bit on what Gura was saying, just based off of uh, Islam culture. Hmm. So the the cupping of the hands when they actually were in stone, uh, during a lot of our prayers, um, we're on our knees or sitting on the floor or whatnot, and that's actually the genuine gesture that we do. Hmm. So when the when our equivalent of a priest, our like the, the general priest that kind of like runs the prayers and runs ceremony and whatnot is supposed to be like a spiritual connection to you know, the higher being and whatnot. So when they're giving blessings, we have that gesture of nodding our head and keeping our hands together. And that's mm-hmm. the gesture of, of, of collecting the blessings because you're holding it in your hand. And at the end, you cup your hands together and put your uh, fingers to your head. You know, just like if you were to clap your hands together and yeah. just kind of like put it up to your head. So it's, that's, that's the gesture of uh, collecting what, uh, spiritual essence or spiritual energy or blessings are being given to you hmm. and then putting it up um, into your head, which is, you know, the source of your intellect, your knowledge, um, your your being. So that's sure. uh, so there's a lot of symbolism in that. So I kind of took that as when they were stuck in that moment, like all they could do was offer spiritual essence. Okay. And they yeah. were in that motion of prayer of yeah whether to be to get out of that situation or for things to go well, like that, that's how I took it as just a spiritual guide to like, all we can do is have spiritual essence because our physical is frozen in stone. And also at that uh, video um, that girl's referring to on his YouTube, I actually do that salutation at the end of it. So oh, check that out if you actually want to see how it looks. Yeah. Get a visual to go along with the, the audio description we're giving here. Yeah. And I, again, I think you hit the nail on the head there because I, I, it makes me think back on that scene where we see Chief uh, Banga 
Anyway, when when you know he Benja. throws Raya off the Benja, thank you. Benja. I, I felt something was off there. Chief Benja. We hear him we hear him referred to as Ba for most of the film. That's why I was a little off there. But when he throws Raya off the bridge into the water and, and you see him actually, I think um outside of that final scene we talked about where the our our heroes get turned to stone, he's like the first time you actually get to see somebody have that moment of release and it really does look like he just kind of like gives into it almost and it is that like pose of like releasing himself onto this and just kind of placing that that faith into raya to be that that guardian that he's trained her and trusted her to be i think that was the most heartfelt moment in the movie for me too like Mm -hmm. he never blamed raya for being the reason that namari got in sure he was fulfilling his duty and making sure that his daughter continued to fulfill her duty as well Right. Uh, so he tried doing it the best that he could. But when the time actually came in regards to preparedness, it was like, hey, I gave you everything that you need. This yeah. is your time to finish this mission. And for her, for her to have to do it without him and every time that her father was mentioned throughout the film and like you could see her, you could hear in her voice starting to break up and starting to tear up and things like that. Like, yeah, she's really sarcastic. I love a character that's like hard on the outside, but like in private they show like the emotional weight that they're holding oh yeah um you've been watching my hero so like Bakugo <laughs> is a good remnant uh, a good comparison to that as well um okay but and uh inosuke from demon slayer so like those three sure. ones where it's like when they're in front of their enemy they're top-notch peak performance they can handle it but that emotional offload later that was very consistent throughout the story was really was really big for me. And again, when she had that final showdown with Namari, it was mm. just full emotional offload. Like it was just, she was actually going with anger instead of any uh, strategy or mission at that point. And it was beautifully done, especially the way and the anger that was in the way she said Namari. I was like, Oh, this, mm-hmm. this is going to be rough. It's about to go down. Oh yeah. It was like that big betrayal of what her father was trying to do that whole time. And then she yeah. just, you know, totally ended it right there when uh when she shot the arrow out and she's like okay yeah, yeah. it's about to go down right now that was a that was a rough moment and uh we'll go back to this but i kind of have my issues when namari kind of said like sisu's death is just as much my fault as is yours i think that's a little debatable but uh no raya is a total badass like that scene you're talking about where she kind of she it, the camera is like centered centered directly behind her she's got her hat on she's got her sword her capes flowing behind her and she's just like so making good. a beelining through the 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 fang tribe yeah it is totally badass and it just like that was i she's great throughout the movie but that, that was the moment i was like hell yeah i'm glad that they gave our protagonist this this moment just to like be be so badass that's the only the thing music I can say. With, <laughs> the music with that was so epic oh, too. the yeah. war drums kicking in and they mm-hmm. had this uh very consistent vocalization. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't want to butcher it, but like the ah type stuff that went with it. it I was, know exactly what you're referring to. Yeah. It <laughs> was so beautifully done. Raya. Where's Raya?
And like I was telling you offline, like I've watched this movie like three, four times already. But every time that scene comes up, like I'm mm-hmm. at the edge of my seat with my eyes super wide. Like I, I can't believe how <laughs> well and how beautiful everything mm-hmm. was done in that. It was just perfect. Like all the chaos yeah. and the, the, the randomness that's going on in the background. And she, you can see her clear making a straight line oh, right yeah. for that place. Yeah, yeah, it's it's so well done. The music, the camera work, yeah, it's it's awesome. Let's let's talk a little bit about the performances though. So we're just talking about Raya. That's Kelly Marie Tran. Uh, I think we can all say that she did a, a phenomenal job. You know, showcasing the callous nature as well as some of the more um, tender moments, and and really showcasing that growth that Raya undergoes. Did you guys have any anything you wanted to highlight about her performance? She's amazing. <laughs> it was really good. I remember uh, seeing an interview with her later on, and um, she was all excited about being the next Disney princess, right? So, <laughs> so <laughs> she did great. a really awesome job, I thought. Yeah, she did. She did. And then on uh, the other side of the coin there, we've talked a lot about her adversary turned friend, turned enemy, turned friend again. Um, <laughs> yeah. Namari was uh, played by Jimma Chan, who has popped up. And a, a few more mainstream things here. Uh, she was in Captain Marvel as Minerva for those Marvel fans. And then she's actually going to be popping up again in Eternals. Uh, but I, I thought she did an excellent job. Uh, not only being, I won't call her full on sadistic. Uh, she was, uh, what's, I, I want to say this the right way. She was, uh, I'm really struggling on getting the right word here, but she was likable and unlikable at the same time. As much as she was a thorn in the side to Raya and you felt that I couldn't help but like constantly, like I almost liked her as much as I liked uh, Raya the entire time, despite the things that she was doing. And uh, I think Jimmy Chan did a great job broadcasting that conflicted nature. And when Sisu has those moments of like still wanting to trust her, you're not, you are sold on that. So I, I talked a little bit about, you know, my hesitations on on whether or not Sisu's death was equally their fault. I think it was a little bit more Namari's fault, but I can still see why Sisu trusted her there at the end. Yeah, uh, she was in uh, Crazy Rich Asians as well. Oh, okay. A beautiful performance in that. And nice. yeah, yeah, I think she did right. a fantastic job. Yeah, she she matched the the persona that I love about Raya where it's just like this badass when it comes to the mission. Mm-hmm. But when she's offline, it was just that, you know, the turmoil and the regret and the, you know, questioning the decisions of what her and her mother are doing. Yeah. Overall, the, the character was just so beautifully done. Uh, also another character who was in crazy rich Asians was uh, Aquafina who played Ooh, Sisu. Yeah. That was Sisu. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. I think Raya was actually the first time I had been exposed to Aquafina. Like I've heard interviews with her before. Okay. Um. Mm-hmm. So I was familiar with her being a comedian, and I, man, she nailed the role. Like whenever, oh, yeah. whenever the hard hitting moments came in, like her tone was perfect. But every time she had to crack a joke, she nailed it. It was just so perfect, so spot on. Um, she's going to be in a Marvel property as well, Shang Chi, which comes out this year. Oh yeah, that's yeah, right. She- Aquafina yeah, yeah, is going to yeah. be in Marvel. Mm-hmm. Yep. Cool. She looks like she's playing like Shang Chi's best friend that kind of uh, accompanies his, him as her his maybe willing or unwilling sidekick. 
Yeah, it but. seems like he's trying to like live the normal life instead of like what he's destined to do from his family and their best friends, and she's kind of getting yeah. like dragged into uh, the superhero world. Yeah, yeah. So um, she'll be great for that. I mean, you can tell it with this performance here. She like toes that line between the fantastical elements. Elements. She really drives those home. You get like a kind of uh, regal and majestic vibe from her, but then at the same time, yeah, she can be very irreverent and funny. And somebody, I can't remember who brought, I think it might've been Zuhair there that brought up the, the innocent nature of Sisu, but that innocence provided some of the, the most hilarious moments. Like I think about when Boone told her that she could buy things on credit and she's just going <laughs> through the whole town. It's like, oh, it's all I'm good for this. Uh, this, is on, <laughs> this is on, this is on credit. This is on credit. And then she finally gets uh, confronted. And um, I know we're focusing on Sisu here, but when she does get confronted, somebody calls her a, a Binturi. And that was like an insult that came up a lot in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you guys know anything about that? You know, that I looked phrase, that Binturi? up. Okay. I looked that up. I believe, I believe that's a made up word in there, but um, okay. interesting. I, it, it seems to be related to uh, being a traitor. Okay. And there was another one uh, that they used later on in the beginning of the movie was uh, Depla. And I, yeah, yeah, I, I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, but I uh, I found someone suggesting that was coming from uh, the Vietnamese language, which actually means best friend or beautiful, something like that. So hmm. the exchange between uh, Benturi, meaning traitor, and then the other one, Depla, meaning uh, best friend, there's mm-hmm. that little sarcasm, sarcasm that's going on between them saying, well, you're my best friend while well, you're the traitor. So there's kind of like this. Okay. This. Um, hidden animosity from the exchange of just those two words. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm glad you brought that one up too, because that one did come up a couple of times. And one of the times that comes to mind is when uh, Namari came in riding on on the cats right after they recovered the, the piece of the dragon gym from the, the dead uh, tail chief there. And she's Mm. like, Oh, you, you finally made a friend. I was worried that you were going to become a cat lady like me. (laughs) (laughs) And even before when they were giving the when when the when Chief Benju or Benji Benju what was Raya's dad's name? Uh, Benja. Uh, Benja. When he was saying like, okay, what do you know about the other lands? And they were talking about the cats, and Tuk Tuk was uh, like impersonating one of the cats. <laughs> That's right. It's like and cats, and he just comes like me. Yeah. <laughs> it's so I, I love when they have a good balance between serious tone and comedy because they they nailed it on that oh yeah yeah and i i in addition to uh aquafina and sisu i think the supporting cast uh did a great job providing a lot of that comedy too uh we had boone i do not know the voice actor's name off the top of my head but i know he popped up in um now i'm struggling to think of the name of the uh the movie good boys good boys that one that was like basically an adult comedy that focused on like 12 year old boys but um, anyway, then there was also Con Baby, who was not we didn't have a name for for the longest time. So that was kind of a good joke there when we got the revelation that she actually had a name and it was Noi. And then we talked about uh, Benedict Wong as Tong. Uh, <laughs> did, did you guys have any any favorites of those or any any standout moments from any of those guys? I did want to just jump in here um, while I was on the subject of Boone and struggling on that actor's name. I did look it up. It's Isaac Wang. So credit where credit's due. He did a, a great job as well, you know, as a young 
character. He he did a good job delivering a lot of laughs and being that smooth salesman. And he had to fire off like a lot of like dialogue pretty pretty quickly. So I was I was pretty impressed on his uh hmm. his abilities there. But Tong's voice is always very uh, unique. Every time you hear his voice, it's like I know that guy. I can never remember his name, but I've I've heard him around and seen him in many different kinds of um or older movies. So he's a he's like a favorite favorite of mine throughout the movie. It's just the fact that his name is Wong in real life. It's Wong and Doctor Strange, and then Tong <laughs> and Raya. Like they're not being very creative with the names they can give him, or he just really likes his name. Uh, I think he was the the character that kind of threw me off the most. Okay, uh, because I felt like with you know I was just saying how much I love the balance between humor and serious. Uh, I feel like he was silly for the most part and had like his moments of being like a wise chief. Um, so I would have, it's, it's a very minute thing, but I would have liked to have seen a little more of him. Um, uh, just kind of engaging, like being the tough warrior and, mm. you know, having insight and whatnot. But like I said, very minute. I think that he brought in a, a good balance as being that, uh, the soft lumbering, uh, brute, you know, because like mm-hmm. when he when his his uh, character was introduced and he saw the baby, you can see instantaneously that he was more of a, a family man. And he, the only reason why he was being that way is because, you know, his family was taken from him. Yeah. yeah. Another thing on Tong was I don't think they he, he never directly said that he had a daughter. He said he missed seeing his village filled with his people. Mm-hmm. And he has that relationship with Khan baby. Yeah. But the fact that they, he he didn't want, like, I guess he didn't want to come off as emotionally weak as he thought he was. Like, he was trying to come off as a tough guy as much as he could. Sure. Um, and then to show that he actually had a wife and child on top of uh, missing the rest of his village was like, we assumed, but they didn't confirm that until... Um, you know, the hero saved the day and they got to go back and see mm. their families. Yeah, they elicited it pretty good. Yeah, it was never spelled out for you, but I I did think that they planted little seeds here and there. Like he was the only one that, you know, had the thought to even look on her like collar to see if there was a, a name or anything <laughs> like that. So. I love I loved uh Con Baby's little monkeys too. Oh yeah, they were great. <laughs> what were they? The Onji? And they have like nine stomachs according to Boone. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, and I love how she has them on lockdown too. Like they have a nice little uh, arrangement going that on there. If had you know had they not gone on this quest and and reunited Kumandra, they might have had a nice thing going on. Like Raya might have messed something up there for him. Yeah, <laughs> just kidding. Cease was a great swimmer. So oh yeah, she was yeah. so excited about that. Like <laughs> that mean backstroke. <laughs> You know, a little thing with uh, Sisu, uh, just to I don't throw a little, little droplet of uh, um, a little tidbit of knowledge around that, or oh, I, like, I guess more I like of a the droplet. Yeah, the droplet, droplet was of, appropriate. Yeah, <laughs> Sisu. When I heard that the name, and I was like, um, in in the Philippine language, we like to kind of transpose uh, syllables. So hmm. Sisu, if you put it the other way, would be Susi, which actually okay. translates to key. So hmm. her character being a key character or a key ah. of the film kind of stuck out. I was like, hmm, I wonder if that just enough seasoning on that to make 
it more mm, whole, I suppose. Uh, wholesome. Sure. sure. If yeah, I could pick yeah. a, a good word for that. If if that was not intentional, I I think the filmmakers would be remiss if they didn't take credit for it being so because I like that a lot. I think that uh, makes a lot of sense. Sorry, normally I'm a little bit better at transitions here, but <laughs> <laughs> just so stunned by that droplet of knowledge. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, well, let's talk a little bit about well, yeah, on the subject of water and, and droplets. Let's talk about some of the more fantastical elements, some of the dragon powers that we got to see on display and how they were related to the the siblings of sisu so did you guys have a a favorite power that she got to broadcast for me it was when she inherited her brother was it pengu pengu's rain abilities and then we actually got to see her like use the rain as like a bounding board and like it lit up with multicolor as she danced through the sky like that was just such a such an incredible moment and and it was kind of highlighted by the fact that that was the moment that we were talking about Tong. Like he had this dragon gym the entire time and he didn't really seem like the most likely person to have it. And after spending a little time there, he, he entrusted them. And this was before he even, he even knew, uh, or actually, I guess mm. he knew at that point, Sisu was, Sisu was a dragon, right? It was right after that, right after that revelation. Was it during that time? Or like, I think the the previous scene was when Sisu had to step in and, and rescue Raya, and then like the subsequent scene there was when they were all in the water together. Yeah, mm. yeah, because nobody knew because that's when Raya was like, "Yeah, she's a dragon. Come on, let's go." Yeah, yeah. Mm. Girl was, girl was trying to look up uh, the siblings' names, and on Wikipedia, this is a a term that's used in both of our languages. It says inspired by the Naga from Hinduism, Buddhism, and Jainism. Ah, hmm. a Naga. Uh, well, yeah, what can you and tell me the, about that? the dragons are in the shape of a snake. Like Naga is a more serpentine uh, creature, so okay. you can see that uh, the dragons themselves are more serpentine rather than the the full bodied dragons that you can see in different kinds of fol- folklore. Sure, sure. Yeah, it was an interesting design choice for the dragons. I felt like it it was drawing from a, a lot of different elements. They like, almost like had kind of a like unicorn. Um, as yeah, yeah, they did vibe to them as well. Serpent unicorn. Yeah. Especially yeah. the way that they make the platforms out of like the the air droplets. Yeah. Like they like kind of form platforms for them to run across instead of just flying, which was really visually appealing. It was really beautiful to look at. Mm. Yeah. I, I loved all that stuff. And it was definitely Raya and Namari and Sisu's story. But if, if I did have to say one little thing while we're bringing it up, I wish maybe I was able to differentiate between the, the dragon siblings a little bit more. Maybe if we got a little bit more context there. But like I said, I'm just nitpicking at this point. Like, Yeah, let's let's face it. There's going to be a, uh, a a Disney Plus series off of this movie. <laughs> I'd be amazed if there wasn't. The first dragon. I think the coolest I think the coolest name was Jagan. Ooh, I don't know yeah. why I thought that was an awesome name, hmm. but the fog was definitely my favorite ability because they call her a dragon, but she doesn't have like traditional dragon uh, characteristics until right. she came in to save Raya and actually roared and scared the living bejesus out of everybody. Instead of like fire, she was like fogging up the place. I was like, whoa, that's cool. Hmm. Now, that, <laughs> that really shocked me because 
it's the sweetheart that wants to forgive everybody and give gifts and stuff like that. So for her to have that roar and have that presence of like, I'm still a dragon. You better chill out was really cool. No. Yeah. I think if I had to pick one of the powers, it probably is the fog as well. Yeah. Couldn't really expound on that. I just picked one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they use it to such great effect. So, I mean, I I would honestly say if I hadn't picked the rain as my favorite, it would probably be the fog as my, as my second favorite. So they did a, an excellent job with it. Um, I mean, they didn't really use the glow stick ability too much. I think it was kind of like convenient for um, the initial scene and to explain what their abilities were. I mean, mm-hmm. her swimming was really cool. Like when they first met uh, Captain Boone and she got mm-hmm. under the ship and started kicking so fast that it like uh, turned it into a like a powerboat. It was really sweet. Oh, yeah. yeah. Speedboat. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Powerboat. Well, on the on the subject of speedboats and, and it kind of puts me in the mind of pacing. Like that's another thing that stood out to me. Having watched the movie two times, like it clocks in right at two hours. And one thing that I always pay attention to when I'm watching a movie do I ever stop to like look at my phone to look at the time? Do I ever feel at any point in time, like the, the movie's dragging and not a once in this film, like it has almost like a break. I won't say breakneck speed because it doesn't feel rushed. Like everything feels earned and there's proper character development, but it's like so much happens and the movie just flies by. I, I always appreciate when a movie is, is well paced and well directed like that. Yeah, I agree with that. Especially the, uh, I think you put it, you said it well when you said uh, it's earned, like the attention, all the attention is earned the entire time. It wasn't like mm-hmm. rushed or like, let's make so much action here. So that way they don't make you feel like you get too bored and we have to pull you in. You know, it's, it was well done in a way that you're, it doesn't have to be too strong, but it kept a good energy the whole way. And if it needed yeah. a spike, it spiked only just enough and then brought it back into its regular pacing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you guys oh jay scotty you know that i love uh, a series that can make good world building yeah and yeah. because of that pacing like it's amazing how they were able to set up cultures and personalities and expectations like of these nations within such a short time like oh sure whenever i saw a certain character like i had the understanding of like what was expected to be of them. They, they explained it so well and balanced it so well at the beginning that through the movement of the movie, you didn't have to wonder anything. Like you had an yeah. understanding of what these characters were supposed to be and what was expected of them. And just hats off to them for that. That was probably my favorite thing about it. Yeah. They, they do establish a very rich world in a short amount of time. So super effective storytelling there. And I'm not, I can't quite, explain myself why but when you started bringing up that point it made me think of the original talon chieftain who that like they describe him as like he's a he's a mean guy so like sweet talking might not work that's why sisu wants to go get a gift but basically when raya infiltrates his house and approaches him from behind <laughs> and the guy turns around and he's like oh i'm not him i'm, I'm this guy i'm the flowery guy <laughs> <laughs> Such a, a stupid moment, but I, I love that they threw a gag like that in there. <laughs> it's like, where's your chief? Oh, he's right there. That led you on all the way up to up to that point. <laughs> Just the flower guy. But then they lead uh, even more when they revealed the uh, the old woman, right? At the oh, end. yeah. So yeah. you went from this uh, menacing type of character, make you assume that it's going to be some tyrant, 
And then it's the flower guy. And next thing you know, it's a sweet talking old lady that pushes you outside the door and demands mm-hmm. something from you. And you're like, whoa, that <laughs> gives you a, um, an interesting pathway. Oh, I yeah. loved uh, I loved Sisu's dialogue that led up to that too when they were confronting her about the credit, and she was like, "Oh, let let, let me go find my friend Raya. She has jade and a sword and gemstones." No, we oh, don't. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she yeah. just took it back right away. Like, oh, maybe I shouldn't announce that. <laughs> yeah, and then while we're while we're focusing on on funny moments, and we were just kind of like talking about some of the just the world building that they're able to do through the storytelling but even a moment like when um i can't remember that what were they the the boom bugs or something like that anyway they were the little beetles with the butts that light up and then they basically oh tootin booms yeah yeah (laughs) that was just another great thing like you just it's a funny moment and it gives sisu this moment that hey they get you got to admit they got cute butts but it's just like (laughs) gives you more of a fantastical understanding of like what kind of <laughs> fauna and uh, flora you can expect in this, in this wild world. And then she was so hungry, but she didn't want to eat any of Raya's jerky. <laughs> Not that hungry. <laughs> <laughs> I like that they put yeah. that as part of her personality, you know, that, that bit of the, uh, the nicety. Cause like, if it mm-hmm. would be, if it was me, I would be like, no, this is horrible. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'll tell you right away. <laughs> and then she was so desperate for good food that once they met Captain Boone and he was like taking their orders and stuff, like Sisu knew she was on the run, but Raya was like, We gotta go. She's like, Oh no, what are your specials? <laughs> and I'll take the extra hot. Oh, hot, 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 and just jumps over the ship. <laughs> yeah, and then poor Tuk Tuk later on, they they kind of do a, a callback to that when he's just going into town on those little um I want to call them mochi balls, but basically the hot sauce gets poured onto those while he's just going to town. And uh, <laughs> while I'm bringing up, uh, is it Tuk Tuk or Tuk Tuk, right? Not Tuk Tuk, Tuk Tuk. Tuk Tuk. Yeah. yeah. He's, uh, he's, I'll say, quote unquote, voiced by Alan Tudyk. I guess of he course does the, he is. The vocalizations there. Exactly. Yeah. He has a long standing <laughs> history with, with uh, kind of crazy, kooky character voices like that. But um, I. It, he was Hey was, in Moana. So Hey yeah. Hey Tuk Tuk. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. But it was kind of funny how in the opening scene where we saw, you know, young Raya. He was basically just this little tool that she could use as like a stealth mm-hmm. tool and mm-hmm. then come full circle. Like when the action's going on more often than not, he's too big to even like participate really. So he's just like, all right, I'll just try to cut you off where I, or uh, I guess he has that moment where he, uh, he stops con baby in the, in the three monkeys when he's able to. He head like the little there. barricade down. Yeah. 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 But I did notice when he was like constantly trying to get on the action, but he was too big. So at least he's, he's able to contribute where he can. Hmm. Man, I love that opening scene. She was so adorable. You know, um, <laughs> in the trailer, when they had the scene of the chief guarding the gem and mm-hmm. her having to get back, in the trailer, there was no context that that was her father. It was that it was an obstacle. Oh, and yeah, we they... saw the scene of like him just using very minor movements and her having to like be fancy to try to get around him. Yeah, when me and Atisera from Impact saw that we were like, "Oh, that's totally girl." <laughs> that's funny. Because it was just like, "Man, we got all these fancy moves that he showed us, and he's able to like take us out with like very little movement." That's a goal right there. Uh, <laughs> that's interesting to hear that perspective. Having you, uh, you paid a lot more attention to the trailers preceding up to the movie. I remember the first time I watched it, and even the second time I watched it, I, I still thought they did a good job of like setting it up that way with the 
the first time we see Raya, she's out on her own on the dystopian landscape or whatever. She's like, let me tell you how it happened. It really did kind of set her up to make it seem like she was the thief in that situation right up until the first time yeah. Chief Banga opened his mouth and you're like, okay, Banja, excuse me. Um, okay, this is a little more lighthearted than than you initially thought. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, any any other final thoughts as we're kind of uh, bringing the conversation to a close? Any any other standout moments that you, you feel um, as you know, big martial arts fans and um, with a little bit more exposure to the cultures that we're, we're focused on in this film. Let me, let me know if there's any other uh, things you want to get off your chest there. Either one of you guys. Uh, my one like nitpicky thing was when the firework went off and the chief came in to help Raya, but mm-hmm. like everybody else's armies showed up. I was like, did Hart not have anybody else to help out? Like were those literally the only two warriors available? Because yeah, clearly was... everybody knew what happened. That was my only like very nitpicky thing. Hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. aside from that, I mentioned, you know, there was essence in um, the certain postures and uh, artistic decisions and culture and, the, you know, the things that just connected with me that I thought was really beautiful to see. And then when I got to talk to Irvin about it in person and get the expanded version of how he felt about it. Like it just gave me like a whole new appreciation for the movie. So the fact that I had started training Filipino martial arts because the person who recommended it to me spoke about it so passionately. And it was one of those things where it's like, I didn't quite understand it until I tried it. Like I called into the school. They were like, what do you want to try? I was about to say Muay Thai. And I was like, you know, I want to do Filipino martial arts. Let me try something I've never heard of. Or have no exposure to. And that was my first exposure to martial arts. I've been doing it for six years. uh, Only at impact as well. Uh, So it was a really, really cool thing that something that I've been training every day for six years now to be displayed in a movie and to be able to have that relationship and say like, hey, this is this is like my extended culture. Like they actually acknowledge this. This is something that, uh, you know, I'm trying to understand more and be able to explain more so the fact that there's a movie that portrays my culture as a muslim as a pakistani and then as a filipino martial artist was was really amazing and they did a fantastic job at that and i hope they do make a good series off of it i I love to hear that that's that's awesome yeah that stuck out to me too i like how they i mean i could have um, I kind of wished I saw a little bit more of the uniqueness uniqueness of Filipino martial arts, maybe like a, a particular pattern, um, mm-hmm. okay. a movement pattern. But other than that, I thought it was pretty good, just like you talked about, you know, attaching uh, the cultural pride because, you know, obviously it's it's part of how you know, we grew up and everything to see that depicted on there and to get a, a little bit more light shed on that. And it uh, sparks more curiosity to know more about the the culture and the history through the art itself. So you can see it in reverse this time where, where the movie is showing the culture and then, you know, maybe lead towards uh, more people practicing Filipino martial arts to understand the movie a little bit more, or maybe mm. dive into its, uh, its rich uh, history and culture, which tends to be not spoken of because, you know, more modern times, uh, more modern problems <laughs> brings our yeah. minds away from that. So I like how they bring that together. But in the, the last note there, I heard you say something about the, the chicken. Hey, hey. And I, when yeah, I yeah. saw him come through with the, 
a uh, little Easter egg inside of the movie. I was like, hey, isn't that that chicken that was in Moana? And then it was gone. And I was like, uh, okay, let's go back to uh, the know, movie. <laughs> I don't think I picked up on that. What, do you remember which scene that was? Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about either. It has something. I believe you, though. Yeah, it, it's somewhere around, um, I, I want to say it's in the middle or maybe like a quarter way through the movie. Uh, okay. They were in a marketplace and there was a, mm-hmm. a, a bird oh, okay. uh, that had okay. like a basket over its head. So that was, oh. that was Hey Hey. Nice. Nice. That's so cool. So now I'm going to get you to watch the movie again. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, like I, like, I need an excuse to watch it a third time. But now it, it's really nice to hear. I mean, as beautifully and well done the movie was done as just for someone like me, that's just a, a casual fan of I mean I'm, I'm a fan of animation and action obviously I have a podcast about it but not having been quite as exposed to these particular cultures and these martial arts just hearing how much it resonated with you guys and the fact that it was a beautiful film for me just makes me feel really good you know sometimes it's it's tough I I won't get on too much of a soapbox here but <laughs> Disney is a monopoly so I always kind of keep that in the back of my head as much as like I like the content that Disney's putting out there a lot. It's like, okay, they are kind of taking over the world a little mm-hmm. bit, but if they're doing things like this, it makes me feel a little bit better about it. But, yeah. You um, know, as soon as I, Bob Iger uh, stepped down as the CEO and put a lot of uh-huh. his, uh, his um, energy into the creative, I can uh-huh. definitely see Disney coming out with a lot more stuff. Okay, cool. Cool. Well, uh, I guess my final question, you guys, you kind of gave your final thoughts here, but I do want to ask, did you have, a favorite it doesn't even have to be a favorite fight scene but if you want to go into a favorite fight scene just a favorite move it be it like you know just hand-to-hand combat or with a weapon did you have a favorite move that you saw executed I'll, I'll just go ahead and start with myself i like the callback from that that fight when we saw you know the i want to say they were 12 years old the 12 year old versions of uh namari and raya when raya was able to land that overhead kick that caught you know Namari on the the collarbone area there. That's what laid her out initially. And she had the signal for the rest of Fang to come. And then when we when they fought when they were older, Namari had learned and was able to catch that and kind of reverse it on Raya. I I appreciate that visual callback and just great action. So. I didn't catch that. Uh, wow. I don't Honestly, know neither did I. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> if you didn't get it either, that makes me feel a whole lot better. Maybe I was uh, maybe breaking it, down all the like other minute stuff. I, I, I'm pretty confident that uh, it's the same kick, but maybe I'm maybe I'm m- making things that aren't there. But I, I feel like it, it, it was a, a pretty uh, intended mm. visual callback. No, I believe you. I started thinking about it. My jaw kind of dropped as you were explaining it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Ooh, I think my favorite was uh, the standoff between. Uh, Ryan and Amari at the end mm-hmm. because we saw a lot of when they were tame and when they were standoffish but it was kind of like mm-hmm. buying time to kind of get out this yeah. was like full on confrontation like this is they knew that that was going to be their final showdown oh, so no. the level of motion that was in it um, being able to understand the movements um, because she was the, the cool thing about the sword is that it becomes a flexible weapon, which sadly mine doesn't do. If anybody finds a version <laughs> of the Chris that does that, please send me the link because I'd love yeah. to do that despite how much I probably cut myself. Um, <laughs> um, but being able to use her uh, sword as single and double and all the hand trapping stuff that was happening. And then mm-hmm. uh, Namari having the double blade. So having to deal with the shield lashes and the berries and like uh, the two against one, like trying to overpower each other. Uh, whether it be with multiple weapons or with you know just sheer force, it was it was a really cool thing. That I think there was a lot of um, you know we 
we, we talk about in the school how there's, you know, 12 areas of Kali and being able to see a lot of them within that fight with double sword, flexible weapons, double hand stuff, a lot of uh, empty hand stuff, and then the emotional healing that happened afterwards um, mm-hmm. was a really cool thing. There was It was just, it was years of different styles of Kali kind of all coming into one in that scene, and it was it was really cool to watch. Mm. Yeah, super super effective scene. Girl, what was your favorite? If you have one, I don't think I would pick uh, a, a move. I'm just more gravitated towards the accuracy of the objects in the movie. You know, from sure. the from the Chris sword itself, uh, different shapes. I don't know the name that uh, of the blades that Namari was um, um, holding, but the shape itself mm. looked like uh, um, a blade that I saw the Atienza Kali. Um, uses and um like the salakot which is the rice hat uh, that she was mm-hmm. wearing as well uh the different uh, colors of the 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 clothes you know different different parts that make me really gra- um imagine i was part of southeast asia traveling between the different countries so those were the things mm-hmm. that really stuck out to me instead of the 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 martial part of it it was more sure. of the art part of it the curve in her shorter spear was really cool too. I can't think of the, I know there's a, a Chinese type spear that was kind of shaped off of where the staff itself was kind of shorter and it had a curved blade at the edge. The one that she was using in the the fight in the in spine, spine village, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Cool. Yeah. I like that one too. More like a halberd of some sort. Yeah. Yeah. Halberd's a good way to, to describe it. Yeah. Well, uh, Sounds like uh, we're kind of coming to a close here. So I will take this opportunity to thank Irvin once again. Thank you for taking the time to talk about Ryan the Last Dragon with us and lend some of your expertise and and break it down. One more time, uh, let the people know where they can find everything that you're doing. Uh, If you happen to be in Virginia Beach area, uh, my school, I run it with my wife, my family. It's called Impact Martial Arts Academy. If you're looking to train either in weaponry, striking, or grappling, we have it all there. And we're all subject matter experts. You can even see Zuhair there as well. He's a guru in uh, Filipino martial arts. Um, mm-hmm. Come visit us, train with us, and uh, we'll be definitely more honored and privileged to share with you. Cool. Impact cool. all day. Yeah. And we'll put the social media links for Impact as well as the link for that YouTube video that you plugged at the beginning. You'll find that in the, in the show notes description or the show description. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, Thanks yeah, for joining, girl. Zuhair, anything uh, you want to let the people know about before we get out of here? I'm super excited that we are finally covering Young Justice Season 3. I know Woo-woo. a lot of our listeners have been patiently waiting for us to get that. We thank you for your patience. We are excited to talk about it, excited to watch it in anticipation of Season 4 coming out this year. Also, we are going to finish our coverage of Demon Slayer Season 1 and a rewatch and feedback of Mugen Train in anticipation of Season 2 coming out later this year as well. Uh, You know my love for animation, or sorry, you know my love for anime. You know my love for Young Justice and how underappreciated that show is. So I'm excited to get back on it, share with you guys, and really excited to to listen to your feedback and talk with you all about it. So Steve. I'll let oh, you yeah. I'm not take your line. I almost took your uh, line. No, no, you're good. <laughs> nah, yeah, very, very excited to get back into the world of Young Justice. We should be hearing something about season four pretty soon here. So 
Uh, very, very excited for that. I will take an opportunity just to mention we are part of the Stranded Panda Network and kind of, uh, I like to call him the pod father, Matthew Carroll, <laughs> Matthew uh, Carolione, if you will. Uh, he is a musician. He has a band called The Garage. They just uh, released their album, Save Each Other. So it's all kind of focused on Star Trek. Um, they're all songs inspired by Star Trek, but even as somebody that's more of a Star Trek fan, casual Star Trek fan, um, there's a lot of good stuff there. It's geeky music with heart. So if that's your thing, uh, wherever you find your music, save each other. Check it out. And keep tuning in. That's T-O-O-N-I-N. Stay whelmed. Word. Thank you for listening to the Animation Deliberation Podcast, a proud member of the Stranded Panda Network. If you would like to contact us, you can email animationdeliberationpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at animationdelib1. For this and other great shows, you can visit strandedpanda.com or join the great community that is the Stranded Panda Chat Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash svchat. Tune in next time, and remember... Stay- You're invited to explore cypress swamps and magical gardens and float along the rushing waters of an old-fashioned swimming hole. Plan your journey at visitmississippi.org slash outdooradventure. Mississippi, wanderers welcome. When it's time to give a truly special gift to that special someone in your life, why not turn to a jeweler you can trust? Solomon Brothers Jewelers is a family-owned business that's earned Atlanta's trust for decades with high quality, low prices, and the largest selection. Solomon Brothers has thousands of wedding bands, engagement rings, and loose diamonds in stock. Shop Solomon Brothers online at SolomonBrothers.com, SolomonBrothers.com, or stop by stores with locations in Buckhead or Alpharetta and experience the best. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18-plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Overwhelmed. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18-plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Other banks go out of their way to make redeeming credit card rewards needlessly complicated, like how they require minimums or force you to use your rewards before reaching some arbitrary expiration date. But Discover isn't like that. With Discover, you can redeem your rewards for cash in any amount, at any time. So you'll never have to jump through hoops. Unless you're like a trapezist, then by all means, go right ahead. Learn more at discover.com slash redeem rewards. Terms apply.